Hi, everybody. Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Thank you so much for coming to what is my final book club as official co-host of the podcast. Um, This is an incredible throwback for a lot of us because Jillian, who is the star of tonight, um, was an OG Discorder. And if you were here in the very early days where we were all on Discord 24 hours a day, um, you might remember a moment in which when we were all listening to the DJ channel via Groovy, Jillian was animating it with custom GIFs that were matched to the songs. And I did not know that there was a GIF plugin. And so I thought she was actually manually Googling every single GIF as the songs are playing, which I thought was an incredible skill. And then I realized she was just Google, like putting it into the app. Anyway, um, Jillian is, uh, when I found out that she was in our Discord community, I was amazed because I've been a longtime fan of her, her illustrations and her comic books. Um, I think the first one I read was the Eisner award-winning Super Mutant Magic Academy, which is about a bunch of disaffected sort of Harry Potter-ish freaks in boarding school. Um, she is a, an incredible artist. Um, her partner, Michael DeForge, am I allowed to say that in public? Yeah. Um, is also a Discord <laughs> member. So hi, Michael. Um, But anyway, to cut to the chase, today we are here to celebrate uh, Jillian's newest book, Roaming, um, which she authored with her cousin Mariko Tamaki. And um, just a little background, um, they have written two previous books together, Skim and This One Summer. And I think Jillian's going to tell us a little bit about this collaboration process. Um, Roaming is the first of their three books that's geared more toward an adult audience, I would say, um, and is about the adventures of three friends in New York City. So it's perfect that um, I'm recording here in New York. And you guys might see a box that is a bunch of labeled a bunch of people. Um, Some of the OG discorders have surprised me at my house with a going away party. So it's very sweet. They're all in the next room. Um, All right. So the agenda today, Jillian's going to give a sort of behind the scenes on the creation of this book. Then I'm going to ask a couple of questions and then we're going to open up to all of you guys. You guys can also put questions in the chat as we go, if you're more comfortable with that. Um, But I'll now turn it over to Jillian. Welcome. Thanks. I was really flattered when people thought that the gifts and Groovy were like me like hacking the mainframe or something <laughs> and not just like selecting them from the preset <laughs> gifts. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, um, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. And um, I'm really honored that this is like Tammy's last hurrah too. Uh, I'm going to share screen share now. Let's see. How's that look? Everybody good. Okay. Uh, and I, I just came off a really long tour with my cousin, uh, where we did an abbreviate, like a, a longer version of this, but I had notes for that. So I'm just going to wing this, but I feel like I've done it enough <laughs> times that it should be okay. So welcome. So, uh, yeah, as Tammy mentioned, roaming is my third book, uh, with Mariko, my cousin. Um, I have done a lot of solo work, but, um, Uh, Yeah, this is our third. And I'm just going to, before I really get into the process, because the process is really what people ask us. I think every single um, interview that we give is like, how do you work together? Because I think that people, uh, I think it's really flattering that 
people see our work as it, it, sort of, it feels seamless. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of a bat behind the scenes um, taste of that process, but I will give a synopsis of the book first. So it's uh, uh, Spring Break 2009. <laughs> Everybody remembers that time. Uh, friends Zoe and Danny, uh, their high school friends, they reunite over spring break in a place that they have always vis wanted to visit, uh, New York City. They travel by train to, or they travel, they fly to, uh, from their respective Canadian universities and sort of convene in New York. Danny brings her very sassy new friend, Fiona, and Fiona is, uh, she's a fiber artist. <laughs> she's a smart ass. Uh, and because she has been to New York, you know, twice before, that makes her an expert about, you know, about this whole thing. And they settle into their dingy hostel near Times Square. And they take in the sights immediately and they hit all the touristy hotspots that, you know, everybody everybody talks about and everybody needs needs to see once and so they all go do that and they see they see art uh and they eat a ton of pizza and they you know take in the sights and the sounds they take a million selfies and of course they shop their asses off uh meanwhile though there is also sort of the simmering thing that starts to, to develop between zoe and fiona uh, and uh, Zoe really can't help herself but sort of get enmeshed with this uh, very uh, persuasive personality, <laughs> much to the chagrin of her friend Danny, who has really wanted to reconnect with her best friend over this trip. And so it kind of cul cul culminates uh, in one fantastic night if you are two of the people in the group and one horrible night if you are... The, the third <laughs> and uh it's sort of i'll leave it there and <laughs> so uh the um the thing kind of starts coming apart at the seams but it really is about uh change and that liminal space in between being a kid and being an adult and trying to find yourself and really being pinged into the broader world you know from your little cozy uh a Canadian town and your uh, high school and now you're sort of like free to be uh, something else and there's that's great and there is also complication to that so around 2019 I had this which we'll all remember was pre-pandemic uh, what I had this idea of a story and I was about um, the first time you travel with friends, um, lucky those of us who are lucky enough to have traveled um, as young people um, and you know, at this stage, I don't really have an idea as to what, what form the story takes because I do a lot of different kinds of books and storytelling venues, right? Like I'll, I do picture books, I do, I pitch little stories to uh, the, you know, the New Yorker and uh, the little literary magazines, or sometimes I'll just make a little comic and put it on Instagram. So I just knew that I wanted to make a story about uh, that basic premise of going to uh, New York with a, or even just traveling as a young person, 
and I had done a some a similar trip when I was um, in first year university at Queens University and took the nine hour train down to New York City with a friend with two friends. Everything else after that is completely fictional. But uh, here's some. And I was, it's funny because this, these, these pictures were actually not on the tour and I went, cause I, I didn't have access to them, but I did go home to my parents' house and I was like, I wonder if I took any photos of this trip. And I realized I had made a whole scrapbook of the trip and here's like some pages of the scrapbook with like the like New York post from that day. And you can see February 20th, 2000. So that, that's a little bit of a timestamp for you. Uh, these are just some sketches of some really, really early, you know, uh, trying to get a, a toehold on these characters. So Fiona, seemingly endless supply of clothes and accessories, originally from Winnipeg, yarn bomber, eats food sexily. I had also been teaching. Uh, I lived in New York uh, from 2005 to 2015, and I had taught in art school uh, a lot at that time. So I feel like I was also in close proximity to a lot of kids that were 19, a lot of especially girls 19 and 20 that were experiencing New York at this time period. So this is Zoe. Kirsten Stewart-y looking, but not as cool. A tiny bit of natural swagger, but also sometimes dorky and gangly. And these are just images that I... Uh, included with our pitch when we sold the book. Danny, weather prepared, always carries several colored gel pens, lives life according to the philosophy of Moomins. So I had these initial sketches and I had these initial scenes, right? Just from my own experience, from that trip I had taken and being living in New York for so long and you know, these scenes and these places that I knew I really needed to be there, like that first time you get off the train at Penn Station and you're like, oh my God, it's one of those clicky clacky boards. I need to take a photo of that, like that I've only seen those in a movie. Like I knew that there were certain scenes like that, for and that, you know, your friend pulls out the big map because it's before, you know, iPhones and all that. And then your other friend, don't look at the map. We're going to look like tourists. We're going to get mugged. Don't you like put that map away. So there are like some of these scenes that just really felt indelible to the experience of visiting, you know, New York, but any big city. Uh, so I just had this level of sketches uh, and I kind of thought, you know, this is like feeling like a book I would make with my cousin because it has um, sort of friendships at a crossroads that liminal space uh, uh, between phases of life, the messiness of growing up and the pain <laughs> of growing up and the pain of change. And it had some of these themes naturally in this story. And I was like, I think I want to work uh, with my cousin again on this. She would be like a great person to like help shape this story. Our, first, our last book prior to this was this one summer, which came out in 2014. Um, and, uh, with both, with, with these, um, oops, ah, okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, with our two previous books, including this one, those were kind of based on her childhood trauma and her, uh, her scripting. Uh, and she would sort of, we would agree to go do a book and she would go away and, uh, kind of write the script and it kind of, and it looks like this is the script from this one summer. Um, and it's, and and I I love that challenge. I was a commercial illustrator, and I still am a commercial illustrator, and I for a long time. So I'm used to that 
challenge of like, here's the material, you take it and you, it's your job to find your way into it and put yourself into it. And that's a very specific kind of challenge, but it's one that I actually quite enjoy. Uh, but so the case with the last two books was like, I was like, let's, let's do this book. Like, great. And then she goes away for a couple months and comes back and like, here it is. Here's the whole script. We really don't hadn't conferred on the script part uh, of, a, of a book before, but here's her script from this one summer. And you can see, um, my little notes of my first impressions of, you know, uh, you know, because immediately images will pump, jump into mind. But even I'm looking at this now, and this is the finished script, but there's like dream sequences in here, stuff that never made it to the end. So even a script is never really the finished script in the case of graphic novels. Uh, with this book, we worked a little different. I had been the one to instigate that story, and we wrote the script together. So we didn't have an outline. We kind of knew the general shape of what was going to happen, but we really didn't have a third act. Uh, we just kind of kicked the script back and forth and with via email. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of a, you know, when you work alone and I do work alone a lot, you're so responsible for it mm -hmm. being funny and like poignant, meaningful, not too serious, but serious enough having all, you know, there's something so nice about collaboration because you share those responsibilities with somebody else. So I feel like whenever we, I, I feel like the time when we kicked it back to the uh, next, to the other person was when you kind of hit a roadblock. So that's kind of how, <laughs> what determined when we would pass it off to one another. And maybe we would come back and say, ah, that really doesn't feel like she would do that. Or maybe, maybe there's, this is sort of boring. We need to do, spend more time with this character. So it was very, very intuitive like that and not necessarily following an outline. So here's an example of the script on the left and how that got translated to sketches on the right. Here's a picture of me uh, at, I don't know, maybe 22 or something. Uh, I went to uh, fine art and art history for my first year of college at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, uh, thinking that, you know, that fine art, that was clearly my strength. Uh, I sort of, you know, thought maybe I would be a vet, but then I realized that I was horrible at math and so I should probably follow an art art you know career and I had I was such a dork I volunteered at a museum when I was a teenager all throughout the time I was a teenager so I thought maybe art history and um, I realized after the first year that I I wanted something more practical so I switched uh, and went to graphic design and this is me at graphic design school and you, and it was very very um old school it was you can see behind me there's kind of an architectural rendering <laughs> mounted on some foam core that's how old i am but it's <laughs> uh it, it really in emphasized a lot of figure drawing and a lot of anatomy and a lot of architectural rendering and perspective at which unbeknownst to me was a great foundation for comics <laughs> on the right is me uh working at bioware uh, which is a comics company uh, in edmonton alberta in probably 2004 and that is my little uh, joyful cubicle <laughs> that I worked in for two years while I started freelancing like crazy and moonlighting like crazy. And uh, it was at this time that I started making comics as well, which like to me now I know that um, people can, I was, you know, 24, 25. Uh, and, and I know that now there's so much pressure to be like a young 
person that's already has a professional following by the time they're out of school. I didn't really started quite late. So, you know, I just think that that's always worth mentioning. And I started making comics about the town that I lived in Edmonton, because I thought it was such an interesting of, you know, Wayne, formerly the, you know, Wayne Gretzky, I thought it was such an interesting, weird town. So again, the theme of being kind of interested in cities and city life and the uh, particularities of a city and a place were already there kind of at the very earliest um, uh, comics that I made. Uh, so this is all just to say that I don't have any comics training in particular. I do just approach it like a <laughs> um, like a magazine layout because that was much more what I was trained in. So here's the thumbnails uh, of for, for roaming and you can see they're very, very scrawl. This is after the script is done, quote unquote. Uh, but they're basically just little snowman or stickman or whatever. But this is the real hard work. You know, this is building the foundation of a book. Um, there, sometimes you'll it'll take like uh, an hour to draw one of these little spreads because it really is uh, the foundation of the story and the and the um, telling of the story. But of course, that is really uh, just I can only decipher those little drawings, so I have to bring it to a level where I can edit it with Mariko and with the publisher. And this is in a program called uh, Clip Studio, which is really popular with manga artists. Actually, I don't do any final art with this, but it's a great program for uh, you know actually doing sketches. I find so this is the level where all the text is in there, and we can then meet the, and. You know, it's taken year plus for those, these last two slides, but when they're done, then I come back to, with Mariko and we uh, edit it together. Here's the same, just print it out. So I, you know, I think the question has always been like, why 2009? That seems like such a random <laughs> year. It is like that weird time where it's like, it's quite in the past now, but it doesn't feel like that far away. And it's just kind of coming into focus as having this aesthetic or uh that was the mood of the time it takes like many years to i think to to get a picture of a time right so but that's the, the new york that i know the best uh like i said i was teaching at that time in in new york and um i uh so i was aware i, I really wanted to balance two things with the book i wanted to be you know be able to tap into the mindset of a young person visiting a place that they've always uh, were, wanted to visit and how amazing that is and how inevitably dis disappointing that is as well. Um, but also as like a ex New Yorker, a former New Yorker, I knew that I could not like fuck it up because <laughs> like New Yorkers would be able to point out like exactly everything you got wrong. And like, that's not like those mirror, that's not the way the tiles go in that station and la la la, la. And, and so uh, I knew that it would be a lot of uh, research and reference and which I kind of love because it's 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 I call it like playing in, it's almost like playing in a dollhouse like replicating the world in miniature I kind of get a sick pleasure from so there you go uh, with my with our previous books uh, I had never been to I, you know I grew up in Calgary Alberta I didn't grow up in Ontario where our previous two books had been sent so I really had to go there to experience that place because I I really want to create a sense of being there and a, pulling tapping into like sensory or senses right so uh, I don't think you can do that just through photography uh, so I went to um, cottage country and we 
I, I, I spent time in that place and really got a feel for that uh, place, na the natural place. It's a very mythologized Canadian space. Um, and also the reality of that place and those that the, I think some of those details really make a place come alive. And that is what is really hard to like fabricate from your mind. I think that the real world is always more interesting than anything I could come up with and create myself. So stuff like this, I just felt like was really valuable. That was not possible with this book because uh, COVID hit like immediately once I was starting to really, really work on it. Um, and uh, so there was that complication, but then also the city doesn't exist anymore. You know, the city of 2009 does not exist anymore. So this is Elizabeth Street, for example, 2022, and this is Google uh, Street View Rewind, and this is the same city in 2012, same street in 2012. So uh, even if you were to go there and stand on those exact streets, uh, it would not you would not be able to photograph that place. It's it's a vanished place now. So it really was going to be uh, research and then also my memory, you know? And so that was a really different challenge, right? I couldn't just take reference photos of all these places like I had previously. So a little bit of an insight. I feel like I could teach a course on this now, <laughs> but uh, this to the... And I do think that this this story is could take place anywhere. It could take place in Toronto, where I am. It could take place in Calgary. I mean, big city is really relative, right? However, there is a, a benefit to this particular big, big city being New York City because every single uh, little corner of it has been documented. Um, and that was incredibly helpful. So this is my... Dropbox folder of, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and the character clothing. And in every single folder, there's all the places that they visited that day. And then within those folders, this is like, you know, the one train or whatever, tons of reference. And so this is, again, <laughs> God bless the people that you don't know why some people take photos of like chairs at Newark Airport or walkthroughs of... <laughs> These random places, but uh, they're like the cartoonists, like Aung San Heroes, because uh, like the Voyager 86 for subscribers, like took a two part video of like the M&M's flagship store in Times Square in 2010. <laughs> and like, who knows why, but like, I thank them because I couldn't have made this you know, book without this video, probably. <laughs> and you're not tracing it at all. But like, that first person point of view of moving through a space is just totally invaluable. Um, and uh, because I couldn't go down, you know, and I, I knew I wanted to have uh, it. Does anybody watch like the bet, like listen to the best show? I feel like he's always making fun of like the M&M's like flagship <laughs> Times Square store. And so I feel like that was in there somewhere. But anyway, so I knew I wanted it to be there, but I couldn't be there in the end. Uh, so you can see kind of how this video got translated into the actual comic. And I did actually end up being able, when the borders lifted, I went to this store, which I had never been to when I lived there, mind you. And I was like, I've been here before. Like, I've, I know this place. I, I've seen this place, like, vividly. <laughs> like, I know it inside and out. And, like, I could, like, where that thing's over there. Oh, yep, there it is. It was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, again, just who knows why you upload Flickr actually it was so interesting. I actually thank Flickr in the in the back of the mm -hmm. book because 
that was a very popular photo sharing service at that time, 2009. And people were, I think we just take photographs in a really different way than we did then. Um, that it was much more sort of documentary and, um, uh, so yeah, there, that, this was, that was actually a very invaluable resource for, to me because people were uploading their travel photos to Flickr. Uh, so I really, you know, this was like a very different process of making a book. And I really wanted to, instead of trying to cover that up, lean into it. So here is Google Street View of, again, the TKTS uh, stairway in uh, Times Square. And I think that there's something really amazing about this photo because it kind of replicates the feeling of being in Times Square, maybe more than just a straight photo would with a, you know, wide lens camera. Um, there's sort of blurs, there's, you know, just part body parts and <laughs> parts of signs and nothing, some things are in focus. And it's just, it's kind of, there's a kind of an overwhelming confusion. And I felt like that was something that I wanted to lean into and find inspiration in the material that I was using. And not just trying to replicate uh, my, this one somewhere I felt was quite cinematic. This one I wanted to get away from that a little bit. And part of that was honoring the process that I was, you know, forced into in a way. We're always forced into a process, right? Um, so it was uh, honoring that and then also... Uh, letting uh, there's a danger with reference reference right like that you can trace uh if you could it just, if you tr you could trace all these just photos of everything so you could trace everything but that's really going to result in a really dead drawing there's probably a copyright issue in there too <laughs> and like uh it's going to feel very static and not alive i think i the challenge with this is not to get reliant on the on the reference and instead sort of like put it through my artistic sensibility and then my also my own memory of all these places right i have like a relationship with all the places that are in the book and then but most importantly of all is the emotional state of the characters and what that uh the environment what role the environment is playing in that like emotional state and needs to like mirror that and heighten that so yeah and that's the end <laughs> amazing thank you yeah so good um you know julian one of the the things that um well there was also a question about it in the chat about what the meaning of winnipeg is but it, <laughs> it put me in the mind of you know as as i'm reading i mean you're i feel like you're a very proud um canadian um and i'm wondering what new york city kind of represents in the minds of a young canadian <laughs> you know because yeah. you're saying yeah it's like big city life and big city life is relative and they all kind of have commonalities and of course that's true and and yet i feel like there's something in the imagination of these three characters that you can sort of see that oh it's new york and so yeah, what is that for sure yeah. i think i chose winnipeg because i didn't want to be too overt and chose choose calgary which is my hometown <laughs> right <laughs> it's Somewhere a you know nearby. it's sort of a yeah, yeah like a a prairie city right that sort of everybody kind of doesn't think that is that interesting right uh <laughs> At, at, which I beg to differ. However, that's a side. Uh, but I was a really a kid that, um, and a teenager that worshipped art and culture and pop culture. Like, uh, I'm still, I work hard to re retain that actually in myself. I need, I feel like sometimes I can feel myself, I'm actually in that mood right now where I'm feeling like a little disillusioned by media and mm -hmm. like pop culture and all this stuff. And like, I, so I'm like really trying to find a way to fall in love with media again, but mm -hmm. I really was a kid like that. And so 
when you're from the when you're in the outside of it and you're looking in, I think that you know um, that be, that place takes on like a symbolic power, and especially if you're like an artistic kid and you're not you want to be in the epicenter because you're so far away from it right <laughs> of course um that uh that place is just a real place like anywhere else right and so um i which i then of course learned like living there uh but i think that that's the city for those three characters really uh means different things you know like one in one way it's like for the one character, Fiona, it's proof of her sophistication. Right. Uh, yeah. And then for Danny, it's a place, this is a place that she worships and she like, it's like, you know, worships at the altar of like the Met Museum and all this stuff. And then Zoe, it's a little bit more ambivalent, you know, mm-hmm. but I was thinking, I didn't really even occur to me until I was on tour that uh, our previous books were about really closed environments, right? Like high school, private high school (laughs) even. And, you know, the character of Skim just bounces between home and high school (laughs) and home and then high school, as you do when you are (laughs) like that age. age. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, this one summer is about even younger kids. And so you really have no autonomy because you're just at the behest of, your parents so it's like home uh like your friend's cottage your cottage uh the beach and the little corner store and like that's that's the little like little world that they inhabit with this one it really is they're the little cell in the whole universe Mm -hmm. and so that was like the um it was just a little bit of a flip that I didn't even realize that we were doing. Uh, but that's, and it's, that's why I feel New York also felt kind of perfect as yeah. you know, a metaphor for that. I was really interested in, in the trio because I had also an experience in college of being on a trip with two girlfriends who were Asian. And I feel like there's this weird thing when you're on a trip with two other people, because you try, you know, that triangulation, like sometimes it's these two and sometimes it's these two. And sometimes that's a good thing. And in the case of like the page that you pointed out where there's this sexual encounter, that's also like, it's ecstatic for two people and a violation for the third person. Um, Yeah. So the the book made me think a lot about female friendships and female conflict also. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, what you were trying to get across with that, or if you have thoughts on kind of the way that women of that age, artists of that age relate to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, uh, again, we're just talking about like themes that you don't, I don't think actually, you know, sometimes like I know you talk it wasn't to stu- like, like in your you head talk- as you're doing. Yeah, that, but- no, but I think it's just funny. Like you, when you're young, you're like, what are my themes? What am I going to, what's, what am I about? What am I, what's important to me? And I'm going to, and like, you get enough books and you make enough things and you're like, the themes come out like naturally. It's like your handwriting. <laughs> you know what I mean? People sort of in art school, they worry about style or something like that. It's like, it's in there you, without you even doing anything. It's there. And I think one of the things that um, I, I didn't realize was so, I mean, obviously preoccupying to me. I think you don't, you're obvious, you're in the process of trying to understand things when you make the art, right? Is like friendships changing and like how painful, like moving on from friendship, even if you're supposed to and it's good or whatever uh and that's it's necessary like letting go and allowing change is like so 
unbelievably painful to me. And like mm-hmm. some of those things just I carry with me still. Like some of my deepest shame <laughs> is like stuff from like <laughs> conflict from grade school with the when you exhibited cruelty you know to a, a friend <laughs> like it's too. like yeah. <laughs> yes like it's just some of like the like the darkest because that's that's who you really are you know, or, or something because you're a kid and that's how you choose to be, be act but I, I i think again to the to speak to the the traveling aspect of it i think that that's like again kind of a perfect milieu for yeah exploring that because when you travel with a little group like that it's like you get to see like the good the bad and the ugly of like everybody and i feel like everybody brings like strengths to a little group like that like somebody's the intrepid person that finds the great place to go or somebody's the researcher or somebody gets you to the places on time or somebody's done the research and then somebody somebody else is the spontaneous one or the daring one that pushes the group to do something uh that they weren't planning to. like so you get to see everybody gets to shine a little bit and then everybody <laughs> gets to be really awful to like somebody else and i think that there's like rotating allegiances where nobody is actually comes off looking that great yeah uh, it depends on where in the story you are in fact i think the character of danny who is quote unquote the nice one is the meanest in some way because nobody can hurt you like a friend because they know exactly like where to poke you, you know, to, <laughs> to, like to hurt the most. They don't have to be super, super, they could just be cruel with like the littlest like twist in the, you know? Yeah. So, I almost felt like Danny sometimes when she was saying, Oh, Zoe's a genius. Zoe's a genius. It was almost like she was inflating to deflate or something. There yeah. was a, a sort of cutting aspect to her, like evaluation of her intellect and her performance in school or something, you know? So that was kind yeah. of interesting. Or like you flat flattening, like this is who mm-hmm. you are. She was kind of telling right. her friend, right. like, yeah. this is who you are and this is what you're about and this is what you should do. And right. this is what you could do and all this stuff. And like, that's really like, and Zoe's like, do I want to do that anymore? Can I do that anymore? Like that's, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in first year university, I really thought I had like landed on the moon. Like I truly, <laughs> uh, so it, it was a little bit of like, uh, and there's an identity realignment, I think for a lot of us at that time. So unfortunately that the identity realignment doesn't stop like <laughs> ever, it seems <laughs> it's like ongoing. Uh, but that I was also trying to capture a little bit of that. Um, yeah vibe <laughs> yeah um we have an one anonymous question in the chat that i'll put in here um are there any new york city details that you wanted to draw but you couldn't find online i remember in another talk you gave you <laughs> talked about a scene you wanted to do at newark airport and you like waited until you could go to newark airport to yeah. find the escalator but but yeah is there something that that was you ended up cutting because you couldn't find it oh that's a really good question i if you it's it's what you said there was there was one scene because everything i was kind of was i think uh mutable you know like but in that case she was waiting for her friend to come down the escalator at newark airport and that it is very specific like which escalator (laughs) and i had all these walkthroughs of some dad, you know, with his little like camera, like going down the escalator. But then unfortunately he turned right. He didn't turn left or look back. <laughs> and then there were like photos of just like by the escalator, but not the, but you couldn't <laughs> see the ceiling. So it was like, there was just not the exact right angle for this scene, which I, 
it couldn't be any other way. Other ways you can fudge it and you can kind of like turn the camera, quote unquote, and move it around. In this case, I couldn't. So I actually, when I could come down, I, I spent $30 to like get, go out to Newark airport and take a picture of this like stupid escalator and be like, <laughs> yes, I got it. You know, <laughs> it's like amazing. big game hunting or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, this sequence that I think you and Marika both said is, is um, among your favorites, which is the flashback sequence. Um, you say yep. towards the end of the book for people who haven't read it, there's a, a piece where kind of without any sort of like notation or explication necessarily, we're sort of in a, a different place. But, you know, by the way that the characters look, we we realize that Danny and Zoe are back in their high school yep. days. And um, yeah, they're, they're sort of relating to each other. We get a sense of the way they related to each other before this relationship that we see in New York. Yeah. Um, why did you do that? And what did you hope to convey with that? So this is, uh, look, like making uh, art, I mean, I'll just speak for myself, but <laughs> uh, making uh, books, and I, I am going to extrapolate to like probably art in general, is, uh, is, is not that pleasant. You know, it's like for a lot of a lot of the like labor of it is really um, difficult. Like, and you'll get little like moments of like gra- literally feels like grace <laughs> or like a little gift. Uh, but then it's like back to feeling full of um, doubt, like fear, regret that you even embarked on this whole thing. <laughs> uh, uh, thinking that you're, you really suck, uh, thinking that this sucks, thinking that you're doing something problematic and like, you don't even know because you're (laughs) so problematic yourself that you don't even (laughs) realize that you're being like horribly, like all these like doubts, right. That are like (laughs) swirling around in your head. Right. Um, but that scene that you mentioned was a little bit of like an epiphany that like really, uh, felt so good and it so it was it definitely is a, a highlight of making the book so the the backstory behind it is that that was not in the script this idea of them physically embodying themselves as they were but you know uh 16 months ago or whatever right or whatever 10 months ago uh it was just that they get they smoke up in their hostel room and then they're kind of just tripping out on the carpet and you know (laughs) which was it's a bit of a long scene and they but they're just talking but it's a really important conversation that they're having so it's not like you could cut that scene right but there wasn't a way of making that scene more uh you could you could change the angles you could show different parts of the room if you were to if you were to choose to show depict it literally right you could uh do close-up you could do a pull back but like ultimately that felt like it would be very boring yeah like in the end like sometimes like you we 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 want complex meanings behind like the decisions we make but it was really like this is actually like pretty boring. Uh, I need to figure out a way of making this more interesting. And how would I make it more interesting that isn't just, uh, that actually is meaningful. It's not just uh, shoehorning in something novel or whatever. So how to like deepen this conversation that these two characters are having uh, where, you know, as you do 
in order to feel connected to somebody, you reminisce about like a shared experience that you can then, no matter where you're on, you know, you come together because you can like go back and reminisce about uh something that happened in the past. Uh, and that's what these kids are doing. Uh, and then I was like, well, why not? You're not going to, ch- I'm not sure going to change the text of what they're saying or the conversation that they're saying, but I'll just like physically situate them in the past. And so mm-hmm. Zoe has her long hair again and their clothes right. are quite different. And you just get now this context add on, you know, uh, but the text, but the script didn't change, but it felt like it added this layer of meaning. Um, and I, we talked a little bit on tour about uh, how influenced we are both individually and like as a writing partner of like writing duo. Uh, we're influenced uh, by uh, Alice Munro, who mm, is a Canadian mm-hmm. short story yeah. author who does such a great job of presenting a story uh, with and there's the back there's even within this just short time that you spend with the character there's so much backstory inferred and baked into that and then there's so much like future also like mm. baked into this like they're just perfect little short stories yeah, right yeah i love that and she's so amazing she's so good and and she's like a hero oh. <laughs> uh and um <laughs> And it, I felt like we tried to do that as well. And then this felt really like a really nice way of doing that through the image uh, level of storytelling, uh, mm-hmm. obviously with comics, there's text and image. And it felt like being able to allude to the before yeah. uh, without text. That was great. Okay. I'm going to take some of the audience questions we have. Um, Frank, you can unmute yourself and go ahead and ask. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, I wrote it in the chat too, but I wanted to know what influenced your use of color. Um, a lot of the colors in the book don't really make me think of New York per se, but they have this really interesting kind of connection to kind of keep this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, the story it fits the story, but it doesn't necessarily fit my image of the place. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's a good point. Uh, well, I wonder what the red, white, and blue. Or <laughs> like like gray maybe or something. Um, yeah, it's funny because we got this question a lot on tour. So there's like a kind of a tan, mm-hmm. and then there's like a bluishy purple, but they're quite muted. muted you know, right. like they're not like super super strong strong colors. And uh, again sort of like what I was saying earlier, sometimes you want to, you wish you had a complex answer for the decisions you make, but sometimes the answer is really that it's quite simple. And um, there, there's not, there isn't a heavy meaning behind the colors. It was more an aesthetic choice. I, my dirty little secret is that I actually hate working in color. I do not like. (laughs) I had that feeling based on your other books. (laughs) Yeah. Like if I had my way, I would just, always work in black and white. Um, I just think it's the potential is it's, it's fun to have a limitation, right? It's uh, uh, there's so, I don't think it's, it's necessary. It's necessary. Most of the time, there's so much potential within black and white comics. And that's, um, totally. you know, the, the way comics have been made for, for the most part, actually. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I did want the challenge of doing, a color comic i think that that is the way that comics are kind of going in a way like people are used to reading things in color whereas uh in the past that wasn't necessarily the case uh but i chose these muted colors 
so I would still be free to let the black and white really do the mm-hmm. sing and be the thing that holds it together. But, it, you know, I also not, didn't want it just to be look, looking like a coloring book. So there were um, scenes, for example, they go to Times Square. I'm going to try to pull it up. They go to Times Square and they kind of remark upon the very specific kind of light that is like that artificial light that is like all over there's no shadow or Uh anything like that and it's very like yeah yeah, like an electric artificial flat light and like so trying to you that was an example Mm -hmm. of a place where i was trying to use color and okay well if you have these two colors try to use it in a playful way and and I've this is the way I've done a lot a lot of my color comics now is is actually replicating um, like a silk screen. Oh yeah. So you yeah. you really you really it could silk screen this whole book. Yeah, you could totally. silk screen this whole book. So, and I feel like it had three. this great nostalgic feeling, the fadedness of it, you mm. know. And so that space of memory, I thought was it was. I think I'm just such a melancholy person too that like <laughs> that Those are the colors in, in your there. brain. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, this one summer was a very specific. Uh, purpley blue that you know Mm -hmm. i wanted to that and that was very meaningful that color and i remember choosing that color of at one there's a melancholy to it and there's a a nostalgia like kid people are already nostalgic for their childhoods and they're barely out of their childhoods you know so um but uh, you know you don't if you had chosen like a sepia that would be a little bit heavy-handed this bluish purplish tone had a feeling of those things but it wasn't like sort of so so coded so that in that case that was a that makes choice um rob do you want to read your question aloud yeah no i was curious to know how readily you can access like the memories and emotions of that era and of that age like uh because it it just came through so well in the book and i mean i'm i'm a little older and i just don't have any memory of that entire era of my life (laughs) Um, well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, so that was a really vivid time in my life, right? Like I, you know, that was smack dab of my time in New York. So, which is a very defined time for me. It was 10 years of my life. And then there was a before and then there was an after and then it was that. So that was very specific. I think I'm a very, um, I have a very strong memory in some ways of experience like observational memory to the point where it like terrifies my mom like she's like so (laughs) afraid of like the things i have remembered which i'm just like like, which i think is she doesn't need to worry but she's just like god you remember that oh my god this that happened when you were like seven and you remember that i'm like so i have a very strong memory and for some of this stuff but um it was so there was, and, and I had all these students, right? Like I was already 29 in, in 2009. So I was not that age, but I was around all these young women that were that age. So I think I was, in, I've been, been inspired by those kids like mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, but so this is just a funny aside. I, I made a sp- uh, uh, title because I don't have Spotify because I care about artists. Uh, <laughs> I have a title. Uh, I made a playlist of, um, of uh, songs from that time, 2009. So it was like Rihanna and Justin Bieber or whatever. <laughs> like it was all music from that era and the XX and the CSS, like all these like indie sleazy bands and stuff. And I was like, this is going to be great for like my 
working on this book. I'm going to listen to this playlist all the time and it's going to really put me in that mood. And uh, it so didn't. And I was like, because, because, well, because I was 30 when these movies, when these songs came out, I need, I need to make a playlist from like 1999 (laughs) when I I was, when I was 19 and feeling those feelings, right? I think it's really important to try to tap into the emotional states because especially when you're writing for teenager or not when you're writing for teenagers, when you're writing a teenager, it's really easy to get caught up in the superficialities of like the way they talk, the way they dress, they're, you know, the lingo that they use and all these things. And so these, those are very, very superficial, right? Like, I think it's more important to try to tap into some things that are more quote unquote universal. I mean, you mm-hmm. can debate whether things are universal, but feeling fear <laughs> about your future. Are you making the right decision? Um, uh, yeah. Do I want to totally. do this? Do I want to do that? Who like all these things. So I needed to actually go to like music of my <laughs> late teenhood to be able to tap into those feelings right or excitement about the future like all these things so i actually had a a second playlist that was more my generation that's great i love that yeah yeah (laughs) um all right we have a couple more questions in the time remaining um andy you had a question yeah thanks uh so uh, given the research you did on new york uh i love that shout out to Flickr uh that you have at the end um, I'm curious about how much you're trying to represent uh, the New York of 2009 and how much, uh, you know, general feel of New York or New York to someone seeing it for the first time. You know, I, I, I bumped on that, um, those two pages where I think it's a, I'm not going to sell, maybe a central park where, where Danny sees the, sees, or there's a woman you see in the center of the frame who, who looks like she's wearing a face mask. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Where there were, well, I feel she was like an Asian like grandma that would be like one of the few it was just a little (laughs) bit of a wink because i had made this book during covid right and i feel like you know that would have been so unusual at the time to see somebody wearing a face mask and it would have been like you know maybe specific to certain groups of people and now we're all wearing face masks right now so that's a little bit of an easter egg i suppose uh to the thing of covid i um we sold the book we wrote the book in 2019 or the script and we sold it in 2019. And then, you know, we all know what happened early 2020 and I couldn't go down. And but I actually needed to put the book on the shelf for like probably half a year because I really wanted this book to be um, fun, actually. <laughs> like uh, our, our previous books had been there's they're quite mel- quite melancholy and quite a little bit serious, actually. And this one I wanted to be very jubilant, very energetic, very, very youthful uh, and frenetic. And I was not feeling any of those things <laughs> in like 2020. <laughs> right. the, you know, I was feeling the the, op- the exact opposite of all of that. And, you know, to the point of just like, we were like, you know, if you remember back to that time, like, we might never travel again. Like, they might never reopen the border. We don't know anything. <laughs> like, it really was like, I'm making this book about travel. And like, this is a thing that will never happen to anybody else like nobody will have this experience so that's where I was kind of at at the beginning of the book and I really do feel like art picks up uh vibration (laughs) from you uh the artists like whether it's intentional or not the energy that you have putting into a thing gets uh 
uh, transmuted into whatever you're making. Again, even unintentionally or subliminally, I see that all the time with students where they'll put up work and you're like, are you like, like, and you could just tell that they're not okay in some way or that they're busy or that they're distracted or they didn't, weren't interested. And it's, and it's just, it just has, I just feel like art radiates an energy, right? And I didn't want this book about these things that I wanted to be about these things, radiating energy that didn't reflect what I wanted. So yeah. I actually, you know, speaking, it's a little bit of a tangent, of course, but I, that, that was why COVID, um, I did have to put the book away for several months because yeah. it just wasn't going to do service to the book. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that so is that, a really good catch. That's like a little yeah, Easter egg. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's another great Easter egg. I wanted to make sure people saw that in the inside of the book oh, yeah. jacket cover, there's this gorgeous spread of Fiona and her wardrobe, which Jillian explained in another talk is a shout out to, um, I guess, the Archie comics, right? Mm-hmm. And Ver- the Veronica fashion mail-in. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Jasper had a question. Jasper. Hi. Hi, Jillian. Sorry. Hi. I'm in the the group of people, but we're using my phone as a speaker, so I'm asking. Oh, I see you. Yeah. I have have a two-part question. Um, The first one is kind of like annoyingly um, specific about the narrative. You might want this to be ambiguous, but are Danny and Fiona still going to be friends when they go back to college? (laughs) Who knows? Okay. I I to the, more specifically, I actually never know. You know really? what I mean? Like you don't I, have, I f- okay, interesting. Yeah, like I feel like um I feel like I'm just with these characters for a while. Like I you obviously have to do a little bit of like background, but you know, some mm-hmm. people have like whole backstories to people. And like I feel like I only do as much as I need to, and I don't know what happens in the future either. Like I don't really know if you know, uh, uh, Zoe's gonna maybe end up, you know, transitioning or in some way. I have no idea. I really don't know. So I don't know. Maybe, probably not. Okay. But maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I ask has to do with what you were saying earlier about like thinking about the decisions and the way that you acted as like a little kid. Uh, my my girlfriend has two daughters, so I'm kind of like doing like like the step parenting thing right now, and I'm like very new to it. And the older one's eight, and she already has a lot of like frenemies and like mean girl situations. Like they yeah, really young now. yeah. So like every week, there's like, how is how is hanging out with Addison? And she's like, Addison, I don't like her anymore. She's, she's dead she's to gone. me. Yeah, yeah. And then like the next week, she's at Addison's house, and he's like, Oh, I thought you were gonna hang out with Josie. And they're like, No, Josie's annoying. Josie's Josie is always oh bossing me and telling me that I'm ugly. And it's like. I'm like, <laughs> it's very like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm just kind of like, keep up. But like, when I get to the end of this book, I'm like, is this just a thing that happens between friends and they go back? And they're like a little bit colder and they're not as close. Or is it like, you know, like to not to be like heteronormative, but is it like a dude thing where they just like stop talking and like kind of go their separate ways and like, oh man, like, so exist. Yeah, I think it's funny because people are always talk about kids now are so different in some way, like than like kids of the past or or which really means us, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you just describing some of those dynamics are like 
like full body shiver, like horror, <laughs> you know, like, cause that was so elementary school and middle school uh, for me as well. And I, like I kind of alluded to earlier, like, you know, Ida was not a popular I would say it was like not popular, but I was definitely not the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> but I was like very, and I don't know being like, I grew up in a very white, you know, area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if being slightly an outsider in some way, like makes you hyper aware of expectations or something and how to, so I was like adjacent to, uh, not that I was popular, but I could get along with those people because I used humor and like art and all these ways to like ingratiate yourself to people. And you know how to not, you know how to not be annoying, which is like, and not fatable, you know, like (laughs) you know how to not be what they don't like. Right. So, uh, so thinking about some of the things that like I had done, you know, you do in the way of like stepping over other people to stay in somebody's good graces or, you know, if you're not the popular person, you kind of um, will throw others to the wolves to like get <laughs> off, get them off your back or whatever. Or like, don't no, you're, you know, social poison. You can't be near me. Like that is just, it's <laughs> the cruelty of all of that is like so shameful to me still. Um, and uh, obviously I like to think I've grown out of that stuff, but it just, um, because not every kid was like that, there were some just genuinely nice kids. And so it's not that all kids are like that. It's just like, that's like proof of your being <laughs> kind of shitty inside or whatever. <laughs> um, but female friendship is always probably going to be um, a concern of mine because it like the yeah. female friendships that um, are there, they, they shape, have shaped me so much they i uh the friends that i have that you don't have anymore i think about all the time (laughs) and uh actually mariko had a really great thing when we were on tour that your female friends are kind of like your they're not romantic but they are like before the romantic relationships come in that you are testing out your emotional capacities and some of these dynamics and they're the receptacle for all of that energy too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting take on it as well. And I, I don't know, man. It's <laughs> tough. And I think at the age of, of um, the kids in Jasper's life, it's this really hard thing about trying to process anger when yeah. you're gendered not to do anger or yeah. gendered not to do violence, you know, all these things that you feel and you don't know what to do. And so then you have all of these really weird sort of passive aggressive and mean like yeah. <laughs> reactions yeah. to other women. I think in the same way that probably boys in that time are trying to figure out how to process sadness and other, you know, in their own gendered way, also things they're blocked off from. And power, and power, too. I mean, so many of yeah. these dynamics are about power. I mean, our, all of our, our relationships can be have a power component to it. Um, and that's, it feels like a little more laid bare when yeah. you're young, young like that, too. I have one final lightning round question, because we should wrap up in a couple minutes, sure. which is, is Fiona just a pathological liar? Because she clearly, <laughs> yeah. like, has she ever been to New York? She definitely doesn't have a brother in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like, all of these yeah. things. She's constructed I think this everything, fantasy world. I think world. everything has been done. Like, actually, the lying thing is quite Mariko 
her contribution. Okay. So, uh, but for me, um, her, she's sort of that scamp, like that, like, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like an asshole, but you're kind of right a lot of the time. You're just so, so mean about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think in my, in my estimation or my guess is that everything she says is like, 40 percent true right, and okay. it's been di- it's been dialed up <laughs> totally like, significantly yeah. yeah she knows one thing about brooklyn and then it's like she's been she once before yeah, exactly. she be- she's come on a weekend before or, or you <laughs> yeah. know or and but she's now she's an expert because she's been so many times yeah totally. exactly um well this has been such a pleasure um if folks with their video off want to say a quick hello to jillian i'm sure she'd appreciate that but um <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much for coming. Um, also, Henry Kissinger died during this talk. Jillian, Jillian's just finding out. So Let's fucking go. Some incredible fucking juju around the Tamaki talk. Um, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> we needed a little bit of joy in this really grim time. So um, thank you. It's so good to see everybody. Yeah, and we'll miss you, Tammy, so much. You oh, thanks. have brought Appreciate so much. That. And I'm just really enriched by, I don't know, your mind. <laughs> and thank takes you so much. Friendship. Likewise. Yeah. I'll see you in Toronto soon. Yeah. Okay. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. And good morning and soul. Bye.